good morning. It's good to be with you today. Well, we're in Luke 18, so if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and go there. And as I've been listening to Chris this last three weeks, as we've been talking about desperation, I've had this kind of past experience, this image that's come to mind for me that just reminds me of what I hope to feel and what we should feel spiritually. See, about four years ago, my wife and I, Melissa, we lived on the east side of town. My favorite part about our house then was we had a screened-in sunroom. So I could be outside without the bugs. It was great. So one Saturday morning, Melissa had gone somewhere. So I thought, okay, I'm going to read, go outside, and just enjoy the day. It was before we had Lily. So at that point, I was still drinking hot coffee without warming it up a dozen times. So I enjoyed it. So if you know me, you know that sounds like the perfect day. I'm outdoors. The birds are chirping. I've got my really strong, bold coffee and a book in my hand. It's wonderful. I'll tell you, I did enjoy it. It was great. But what happens in Indiana is it might start a perfect temperature, but only an hour or two later, the humidity and heat cranks up fast. Well, that's what happened for me. So I started to go indoors. I turned the knob on my door, and it was locked. I had no phone, no spare key, so I was then stuck outside. Now, at this point, I was not only hot, but again, I had been drinking only coffee all morning. If you're a coffee drinker, you know what happens when you wake up, you don't have water, you drink a lot of coffee, is you get that terrible feeling of thirst and dehydration in your mouth. Well, that's what I had going for me. I had that, the dehydration, and then the sun was beating on me. I thought, that's okay, I'll push through, I'll just keep reading, I enjoy it. But I couldn't take it very long. The sun is shining on me. And I started to get so thirsty out here. Now, things in your mind, they often, if you remember them, they seem bigger. But this is how I remembered at the moment. Yeah. I was out there. I was exhausted. I was tired. I was seeing blurry images of birds that may or may not have been there. I was thirsty. Now, as the day just got hotter and hotter, I realized, wait, we have a hose in the back of our house. So I went around to the back. I got the hose. I turned the water on, and I started drinking out of that thing like it was ice-cold Dr. Pepper. It was the greatest thing I've ever had. And because I was hot, I'm like pouring it on my head. I'm drinking more out of the hose, and I'm enjoying this. It was like God's manna to Dustin that morning. Now, at that time, I wasn't worried about, is this water going to be blazing hot when it first comes out? Because it always is. And then is it going to be ice-cold? Not worried about the earthy or rusty taste of the water. I'm not worried about what do my neighbors think who are looking out the window, wondering why is that grown man playing in the water. I was desperate with thirst, and so I acted desperately. And we all know that experience, whether something small in your life like that, or whether it's a bigger thing. If you remember ever hitting rock bottom, you know that when we get desperate, we do things different. You've probably heard the phrase, desperate measures call or desperate times call for desperate measures. Well, today in Luke 18, we actually see the lesson that desperate times call for desperate praying. As we look at this text, I want us to see that desperate people, when we get desperate, we stop worrying about everything else. We stop worrying about the people, what the people around us think, and we just go to God with our needs and our desires. So today's parable in Luke 18 It will encourage us to get desperate in our praying, but to be persistent in our praying. 
So looking at Luke 18, the first thing we need to answer as we get started is just what is a parable? If you don't know, a parable is just a short and simple story that usually has one or two main truths. And the nice thing here is that John actually tells us what this parable is going to be about. He writes this in verse 1. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect, meaning here's the purpose of the parable, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So right away, John frames this by saying this parable is to tell us, don't give up, don't be discouraged, but be persistent in prayer. As Ray Ortland says, prayer is not just helpful, prayer is not supplemental, but prayer is essential. Well, as we look at this passage, because a sermon isn't a sermon without alliteration, I'll first look at the people, and then the plot, and then the point, and we'll move through pretty quickly. So look at verse 2. In verse 2, we see our first character come onto the stage. It's the judge. And the judge is described as unrighteous. Twice it says he neither fears God nor respects man. The two things a judge at that time was supposed to do. So the parable is painting a picture of this judge who's very unlikely to help the widow. He's selfish and he's only going to do what works in his favor. Now, the widow is unlikely to help this judge, and so we have no reason to believe he will ever listen to her case. Well, then in verse 3, our main character, now she comes onto the stage. And the story isn't so much about the judge, but it's about the widow. And so what we need to notice is this story is not primarily telling us about God's activity in prayer, but it's giving us an example to follow in prayer. So verse 3 says this, And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to the judge and saying, Please, give me justice against my adversary. I'll pause there. So she has an adversary. She has someone that has already taken advantage of her or wronged her in some way. And it must be a serious thing because every day it says she's coming and she's crying for justice. She's crying for fair treatment before the law. She wants her wrongs to be made right. And this widow, she has no assets. She has no influence, no power. She has no voice. You know, we know obviously she has lost her husband, but she's probably lost her son as well. And Jesus picks this person. Jesus picks a widow because she is dependent. She is vulnerable, and she is desperate. She has no one to protect her or look out for her. She's in hard circumstances. Because she is desperate, we see in Luke 18 that God will work in her favor. But this parable isn't alone. When we look at Luke 18, and if you have your Bible, you can kind of scan along with me as I summarize. But Luke 18 provides several examples of God working on behalf of the dependent and the desperate. You know, in week 1, in verses 9 to 14, we talked about the fact that God, the, it's not the respectable rich Pharisee, it's not the upright religious Pharisee that God justifies, but it's the lowly, sinful tax collector. And then if you look at verses 15 to 17, it tells us the kind of people fit for God's kingdom. It's not the strong, not the independent adults, but it's the weak children who have to look to someone to help them. And then in verses 18 to 27, when Jesus talks to the rich young ruler, 
He says he's not looking for someone who already has a full life, who is fully wealthy, but he's looking for someone who will walk away from anything to follow Jesus. So Luke 18 is painting a picture, giving us stories, conversations to help us know that the kingdom of Christ, it's not for the strong, but it's for the weak. It's not for the proud, but it's for the humble. It's not for those who believe in themselves, but for those who know they need rescue. And it's not for those who already have a full life and are looking to add Jesus on, but it's for those who see Jesus as their whole life. So even before we get to the plot, I hope part of what we see in this series is just the gracious and the gentle heart of God towards the humble and the desperate. The reality is that the gravitational pull of living in suburban America is that we're told that everything is great. We're told to put up a face, put up a front, that our life is great, that it's full, that we're happy, and that it's blessed. We're told also by culture to believe in yourself, that you are amazing, that you can do anything. And so what happens when we have this kind of cultural value of self-esteem and we have this kind of addiction to social media where we want to put our best image forward is it actually works against us as believers because we start to think and believe that desperation and weakness are the things we cover up we move past and we hide and the problem with this is that when we aren't desperate when we say no to desperation we're essentially saying no to god self-sufficiency Pride, trying to keep up appearances is our way of saying that I can handle this myself. myself. And so a key verse we've talked about in this series might be that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know, God, he desires to work in our life. He desires to be present. He desires to sustain us, but we receive that through humility and through trusting in him. And when we are prideful, When we refuse desperation, it's as if we are stiff-arming the Lord and saying, no, not right now. And so what I want us to know, what I want us to believe even now, even here in this moment, is that when God looks at us, when he sees us as being weak, when he sees us as vulnerable, when he sees us in our sorrow and in our desperation, he's not embarrassed by us, he's not put off by us by our weakness, but his heart is moved like a loving and compassionate father. That when he sees weakness and desperation, he wants to wrap us up to help us and to give us the strength that he has. Well, as we now move to the plot, having thought about the people, just notice in verse 6, verse 3 again, it tells us what the widow is doing. She's coming probably daily, and she's begging the judge to give justice against her adversary. Well, verse 5 reiterates her persistence. It says the judge describes this as her continuing to bother him. So day after day, she gets denied. The judge has no compassion, no concern for justice. She could have easily been discouraged and given up. Again, she has no reason to think this judge will change his mind, his character. She has no leverage to get him to consider her case. And yet she doesn't get discouraged. She persists day after day and brings her case before the judge. Look at verses 4 and 5 with me to see her persistence pay off. It says, For a while he, the judge, refused. 
But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So finally, just to get her off his back, he gives her justice and he answers her request. She is rewarded for not giving up. Her persistence pays off. Justice is carried out. But moving on to verses 6 and 8, notice how Jesus gives commentary to this. How does Jesus explain the purpose of that short parable? He says in verses 6 to 8, And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? The answer there is no. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So John already summarized the parable in verse 1 where he said, we ought not to lose heart, but to keep praying. And now Jesus reiterates the point. He moves from an argument of what's less than to what's greater than. He says, if persistence kind of convinced this unjust judge to work on behalf of the widow, how much greater confidence should we have to pray to our God who loves to hear our requests, who invites us to pray to him, and who is good and kind? If he's nothing like this judge, how much more should we keep persistent in prayer? Well, then notice in verse 8 that Jesus asks this question. He says to them, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Jesus flips it around, and his question isn't here, will God answer prayer? He knows he will. His question is, will we continue to trust God by being faithful and persistent in our praying? That Jesus is here calling us to continue to bring our requests to God, to trust that he will answer and that his timing is perfect. That God has a heart of love and a heart of kindness and he will hear the cries of his people. So part of the encouragement here is just to be persistent in prayer, to not give up when we don't see change right away, when we don't see the answer we've been looking for, but to continue to trust our burdens and our heart's requests to God. Well, before we actually spend more time praying together, I want to give one quick application of this text. You know, the first thing all of us, including myself, we need to ask is, is our prayer life missing the key ingredient of desperation? And I think if we think about ourselves personally, if we think about ourselves as a church, we would say, yeah, I need to add desperation. I need to be desperate before God in my prayer. But where I want to specifically apply this is in the area of small groups. You know, in small groups, we usually have a time of prayer together. And our temptation for every small group is to avoid the the tough but the honest and the desperate kind of prayers. Often we settle for general surface level prayer requests. Our temptation there is to avoid the risks of being uncomfortable, of what if someone will ask follow-up questions later. And so we refuse to be desperate. So my encouragement, what I hope we apply even this week as we get together as small groups and even this morning as we pray together or in your own life is, what does it look like to be desperate? What would it look like if I was more concerned about a heart that is fully alive to God than what people will think of me 
and I ask for prayer. Friends, the reason we have prayer services like we're doing today, the reason we pray as a small group, is because we need other people to get around us and to pray for the things that really matter. You know, it's okay to pray for work and health and family issues, but if week after week the only thing we know to pray for is our aunt's hip surgery, then we're just not desperate enough. And so even now, ask, what is that burden on my heart? What is the thing I need to get desperate for and ask people around me to step in and pray? Where's the area I'm really struggling? The area maybe I'm even straying away from God. Invite people into that, and we together desperately pray. Well, as Chris said, the way you learn to pray is by practicing. And so this morning in our next bucket of prayer, we're going to pray together. And I hope what we do is just act upon what we've seen in Luke 18. Not only that we get desperate in prayer, that we're willing to be uncomfortable and ask help to share things that are actually going on in our heart, but also that we're persistent in prayer. You know, there are some of you who have probably stopped praying about something or been tempted to stop. Maybe it's a loved one who's walked away from the Lord or a wayward child. Maybe it's a broken marriage. Maybe it's a desire of your heart. Maybe it's for a spouse or a child. Maybe it's for victory in an area of temptation that you just have never conquered. But what is the thing that you need to keep praying about, that you need to trust to the Lord, that you need to bring to him again today? And my encouragement is think about that thing that you're tempted to stop praying about, but the burden, the need that you just need to be persistent about and keep bringing to the Lord.